The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they all saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. The first Sunday after Pentecost is traditionally observed as Trinity Sunday, wherein we are reminded that though we can use our reasoning and we can use philosophy and the such to understand that there is a single God, what we cannot reason to by our own power is that God is a Trinity. The God who is one is also in some mysterious way Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This comes to us only by way of God's revelation of himself. Again, it's nothing that we ourselves could have figured out or discerned any other way by use of our logic. But rather it comes because Christ. He came to take on our flesh and reveals to us the heart of God. He reveals to us something of the greatest mystery that exists. God himself. It's a mystery which we will never fully understand. Even in heaven, whenever we see God as he is, we will still not be able to understand the mystery of exactly what is before us. So it is a wonderful thing that we celebrate this blessed feast. Again, it reminds us of the revelation of God as he desires us to come to him. But we also are reminded that God wants to come to us. In our first reading today, we hear Moses speaking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, saying, What other nation has had a God come to choose them for himself? What other nation has seen the works that you yourselves have seen? What other God, what other nation has a God who has come so close to us? The answer is no one. Absolutely no one. And yet the reality is that what they were experiencing was only a shadow of what would actually come to pass. Because God coming to them as a burning bush and as various other signs and symbols was still something exterior to them. But in the new covenant, in the new times, in the new testament, Christ comes to us and he takes on our flesh to unite humanity to divinity. He becomes a living bridge. And by virtue of that union within himself, he allows us to receive God not just as something exterior to us, but someone as who comes and actually dwells within our soul. Now, as Christians, we use lots of analogies. God is like, this is like, such and such is like. But whenever I speak about the reality that 
God dwells in our soul, it is not an analogy. It's not like God dwells in us. It's a reality in a way that we can't understand that God actually comes and lives in our soul. Again, it's a mystery as to how it can happen. And certainly for me, it's a mystery even more so that God, who is pure spirit, who is pure and perfect everything, would come to live in me? <laughs> in my broken self? In my sinful heart? God comes and wants to stay there? And yet he does. All of us. He wants to come and to stay with us. In the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus comes and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The door is our heart, and it's only we who can open it. He says, If you will open to me, we will come, we will come, and make our dwelling within you. That if we open our heart to Christ, God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will come and dwell in us. The question is, how do we receive him? In what manner do we receive Christ when he comes to us and knocks on the door? It's an important question for us. I think there are four basic ways that we can respond to Christ when he comes and he knocks. First, we can act like he's the Jehovah's Witnesses or someone we don't want to talk to and turn down the TV and hide behind the couch and hope they don't see us. If that's the way we deal with Christ, that's a problem. (laughs) There are three ways that we can actually receive him into our home, though. I suggest that they are, we could break it into a whole variety of things. But ultimately, we can welcome Christ as a visitor to the home of our soul, as one who comes to rent the home of our soul, or as one who owns the home of our soul. We welcome as a, as, as a visitor. All of us have received visitors at our home. They come for a weekend. Maybe at a holiday they come for a week. Maybe sometimes under difficult circumstances they stay a little bit longer even. But ultimately, that's not their home. They're a visitor. As such, they don't come in and rearrange all the furniture. They don't repaint the walls. They don't tell you how to do this, that, and the other thing in your house. At least I hope they don't. And if they do, usually what that means is we kind of get enough of them and we say, you can go now, right? That's the simple reality of a visitor is they can stay as long as they don't really inconvenience us. As long as they don't push us too much, they're fine. And if we treat Christ this way, it's a sorrow. Because Christ comes to dwell in our soul, but sometimes we can treat him as a visitor. He can come and stay the weekend. He can stay a week or so. Maybe he'll stay a little bit longer on special occasions when we have special need of him to be around us. But he only stays as long as it's convenient for us. If we treat Christ as a visitor, our prayer life is really kind of hit or miss. We come to church or we don't. We pray or we don't. Kind of however we feel that particular day. Whether it's convenient for us or not. Whether we have something better to do that day or not. And ultimately, it doesn't lead to much conversion of our heart. 
it doesn't really change much. Again, the visitor comes and they may move a few things around here and there, but whenever they leave, we put it all back the way we want it. And the same can happen with Christ. He can come and he can make his dwelling in our soul and he can move a couple of things here and there, put the dish in the wrong cabinet, that kind of stuff. But ultimately we leave, nothing changes. Our heart's the same. If we welcome Christ as a renter, we were a little bit more invested. He's there long term. We make an agreement with him of sorts. We sign a contract. He can come in and he can paint the walls. He can move the furniture around. He can determine kind of the schedule of how things work in the house. He can do a good bit. But there's a limit to how far he can go. He can't decide to just up and tear down the walls or up and add on to the house or these kinds of things without some approval. What this looks like in the ways of faith is that we allow Christ to come into our heart and we we begin to live the life of faith. We may come to Mass regularly, become more prayerful, spend you know, regular time in prayer, maybe even daily time in prayer. Some of our bad habits may change. Some of the things that, that we know, you know God's really not, not pleased with that particular thing or things that I do. So we kind of set them aside for a bit. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, God still is renting the house. And we're the ones that maintain control. God can do lots of things, but he can't go past this point. We kind of draw the line in the sand and say, all things are fine and good as long as I agree to it. As long as it's good with me. As long as it more or less meets my plan of how things should proceed. But sometimes, as we all experience, the plan of God and our plan don't exactly mix perfectly every time. Sometimes the Lord asks of us things that we don't necessarily desire to do. And at that point, we face the choice. Either we stay with Christ or we push him away. If we push him away, we recognize that he's simply a renter of the home. We can go to him nicely and say, you've, you know, we, we, you've broken contract. Again, kind of like a visitor. It's time to go. But Christ comes... And if we treat him as the owner of our soul, it changes our entire approach to him. The things that he does, he has the right to do. He can paint the walls. He can move the couch. He can rearrange the cabinets. He can tear down walls. He can add on walls. He can do whatever he desires. Because it's his house. It's his dwelling. It's his home. In the ways of faith, This is the deeper level that Christ calls every one of us to, really. A profound trust and a willingness to follow. And this is difficult for us because every single one of us, from Adam and Eve down to you and me, struggle mainly with one thing, control. We like to be able to control things. We like to have our plan. To be able to say, this is how things are going to work, and whenever it doesn't work that way, God, you can take a hike. Right? Yet, as the owner of the home, he comes to us, and if we allow him to change us, it's we who are changed, not God's plan. It's our plan that has to be tweaked, not his. It's our plan that falls short, 
not his. It's hard to treat God as the owner of our soul. But the simple reality is that whether we like it or not, we're his already. Scripture reminds us that we were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were purchased for God. We were ransomed from the slavery of our sin. We've been bought by Christ at the cost of his life. Our soul, it belongs to him. Whether we're willing to treat him as such is up to us. But if we do treat him that way, it is the greatest of joys. And this is the paradox. Much like the difficulty of understanding how God can be one and yet also three. There's a mystery in which to the extent that we come and we give up our will to God. We actually become happier. When we try to gain control for all things. When we try to make our own plans. When we try to set our own course and our own path. When we do all things. We tend to become unhappy. When we allow ourselves to submit to the will of God, we change. We welcome God in all things with love and devotion. Not as an unwelcome visitor. Not as one who's overstayed his welcome with us. When his plan comes up against ours and they don't meet 100%, we can change. And it's okay. When we allow Christ to truly be the owner of our souls, it means that whenever we bear the cross, we don't resent him for it. We're not angry at God for the things that take place. But we understand that the things that we experience in this life, just like God himself, oftentimes are simply a mystery. We don't understand, and yet we believe. When Christ is the owner of our soul, it is all joy. It is all peace. Because it's not mine to deal with. It's his. It's his to maintain. It's his to control. It's his to grow and to change and to prune and to help. The weight is off my shoulders. I simply walk lightly, following behind him. This is where Christ calls. To be willing to follow. Period. Not with conditions in our quiet, you know, in our contracts down at the bottom in fine print. But to sign him a blank check that says, To Jesus Christ I make out my life, whole and entire, spirit, soul, and body. Period. Do with it what you will. It's scary. And yet, it is the way to peace. And so as we come on this Blessed Trinity Sunday, again we thank the Lord and we give Him honor and glory and we worship Him. He who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That His love is so great for us that it's not enough for Him just to have created us. It's not enough for Him just to have come to offer His life for us. He wants to come and dwell in us. The question is, How do we receive him?